I'm Anna Parker. And I'm Miriam Chancellor. Welcome to Big Mistake, the podcast that unpacks the failures and mistakes of top professionals. So, to make us, and hopefully you, feel better about the mistakes we all make in our careers and lives, we'll be talking with high performers to understand the behind the scenes and less glamorous moments of the business world. Howdy hi, Anna, and welcome. Hello, how are you going? I'm very it's well. always a good day when I see you the night before and then also get to spend the afternoon with you as well. What were we doing last night? We were having dinner what? with our favourite group of powerful, beautiful women. Yes. That is just one of my favourite things to do. And I feel very chuffed that you graciously brought me into the fold. I was a little bit on the I feel like I'm. Am I in? in am I in the inner circle now? Have I, I, I made the cut? In. I okay. think you made the cut. Okay. So yes, tell us about this group. Uh, who was there, and why is it connected to this uh, episode on Big Mistake? This is a group of women who are the sort of say it how it is, no bullshit sort of people. That when you just get around them, the energy is so infectious and they share all of their stories and experiences and was almost the inspiration for doing this as in we have these great conversations with people why not share it to more and so that they can kind of hear us and stories and learn and all of that anyway Kristen and Natalie are two women from that group and I've always admired and loved their energy and I thought it would just be such a joy to have them in the room and to get to hear more of their story and their background of where they are and mistakes and what's happened and it was the energy was electric it was electric it was a spectacular dinner and I certainly appreciated because it was or has been our first episode on big mistake Mm. I felt found really being able to have a conversation with them before we had them on the podcast, it just broke the ice so that when they came in here, uh, it was just, we picked up from where we left off last night and it was just so easy, so relaxed, as you will as you will discover in, in the episode. So yes, Kristen Lundman and Natalie Ferguson are two of the co-founders of Hatch, which is a uh, an app or software that enables Kiwis to invest on the US in the US share market amazing ambitious women with lots of gumption and they're now out of that game for now out of out of they've um, exited from hatch but they're now moving on to their next endeavor which is power suit which you'll hear a bit about in Mm. the episode something else i enjoyed it was not only how natural it was being around them but also when we finished recording the podcast and the interview, which I'm sure you'll find as entertaining as we ha- were, as we experienced doing it, that they wanted to then go around the rest of the house, except I was in the loo at the time and I could just hear them going through all the rooms. <laughs> and I didn't, and I had only tidied the two entrance of the kitchen and the lounge. Thinking that those were the only yeah, rooms that they were going to come the room they would go with. through yeah. to come down into the tea club downstairs. And then I hear them just talking about all the different rooms that they'd let themselves <laughs> into. I, I have a three-year-old, so it's all chaotic. And just, they, it was honestly just a lot of fun to just yeah. be around them. And then I gave them a lift to the airport, which was 40 minutes of endless chat. Wow. And one moment in particular was there was a 
fire or some sort of explosion that happened in the, on a, in a warehouse as we were driving past in the distance. I and mean, it didn't make the news, so I, I don't really think it was anything too drastic. And but we were in the middle of this great conversation, and Chris would get saying, "But there's an explosion," and. <laughs> Natalie and I, like, you know, we only have 22 minutes left of this drive. So it looks like everyone's okay. It looks like it's not, we don't know what you saw. We were kind of looking at it on stuff and we couldn't see any notice of it. And then anyway, it was just a, a very fun, fun car ride. You know, if the world was ending, I don't think anything would get in the way of you guys just continuing I to know. have a conversation. Yeah, it was great. And yeah. They thought they saw it as me doing a really kind gesture, which was taking them to the airport. And I saw it as I can't wait to spend more time <laughs> with the two of you. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, it was a real treat to have them on board. And I think it was funny seeing the way the two of them engage and their relationship because I think it made both of us reflect on our dynamic and our relationship mm, as well. Did. So the four of us together. And it was funny because I said to Anna, you know, when we if we start this podcast, we can't be the ones doing most of the talking. So I felt like we were quite restrained where usually oh, we would be dominating a conversation. Definitely, because I was just so in awe of what they had to say mm. and I wanted them to shine. And that's a really important aspect of getting people involved in this that I'm just interested in what they have to say. Amazing. So yes, Kristen Lundman, Natalie Ferguson, enjoy this conversation. We know we did and it will always be special to us because it was our first ever podcast episode on Big Mistake. We are joined here in Anna's wonderful games room with Kristen Lundman and Natalie Ferguson. Thanks for coming in, guys. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you. We're disappointed there's no tea ceremony in front of us as we were promised. That comes later. Yes, the tea <laughs> comes later. It's all set up over there. Yeah. It is all set up. That's lovely. So as you know, the premise of this is to for you guys to share a big mistake. But before we do that, Anna and I thought at the beginning of each episode, we'll share very briefly a more minor mistake that each of us have made in the recent week or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so you guys can be thinking of what your big mistake is as we share ours. So Anna, what was your big mistake? Mine mistake? was yesterday. I went to the golf range alone and normally I'll go with someone else. And the whole point for golf with me is to share the experiences of playing well, playing badly, share stories. It just so happened that yesterday at the golf range, I was hitting the balls perfectly. And it was just one of those moments when you just wish someone was there watching. <laughs> and instead, um, there was an 18-year-old uh, kid manning the golf range and I turned to him and I said did you see that and he looked at me as if if I don't say I did there's going to be a conversation <laughs> or a moment so I think it's best if I just so he just looked at me with his thumbs up I was like uh, yeah <laughs> but it so wasn't it, it didn't really have the same impact so the mistake was not taking someone definitely well, yeah. or was it not knowing it was going to be you were on a combination of things. I feel and, like this is the perfect and, time for Kristen to raise your hole in one as an example. Oh, yeah, oh, that's such a great story. Yes, yeah, yeah hole in one. There we go. I, I have golfed six times in the past. I should say I did it in my twenties when I lived in Canada, but in New Zealand, um, we just have this little kiwi batch, um, iconic little kiwi batch, uh, in um 
the Copperty Coast just outside of Wellington. And there is this lovely little golf course there. It is actually an 18 hole, but we just usually play the front nine. And I was there with my son and long story short, um, I got a hole in one and it was like I had scored the World Cup winning goal. <laughs> like my son piled on me and then my husband wrote the local newspaper and it's all very embarrassing and embarrassment ensues. But um, I just feel like I can up your golf stories every time we talk. You really can. <laughs> Do you think your golf story would have been nearly as good if you hadn't had your audience to Anna's point? Like if you had no grace in there, ripping yeah. his top off. Well, no one would around. have believed me. See, devastating, yeah. devastating. No That's what Anna had me. to go through yesterday. Yeah, it's true. Gotcha. I gotcha. They yeah. gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. But you just still don't have the love for golf. Mm-mm. I'll tell you what I have the love for. I was a hero to my son. Mm. That was amazing feeling that he was just like, oh my goodness, you are amazing. And I could care less about the hole in one. Isn't that funny? I was like, yeah, whatever. And then my husband's like, you know, some people go through their entire lives and don't get those. And I was like, nah. <laughs> Husband, no. I was like five minutes I was like a total legend to my almost 15 year old son you got to take those oh, moments definitely. As well. that it's, is memory making business right there absolutely. Anyway, and a story that your son will share for the rest of his days my mom I know yeah. it's great love it and there are many people I know who've played golf since they were children who've never had a hole in one so no. They will be. Did you buy the bar at drinks? Do you know about that one? No. I don't know any of the. Apparently, you're supposed to tell the club. And yes. What a <laughs> go board. I broke all the rules. You go up on a board. I you broke buy, all the you, rules. You shout everyone drinks in the clubhouse. <laughs> uh, this is why I don't play golf. You this should have gone with very Anna. Expensive. Anna, this would have solved two problems in one. And in Japan, <sighs> it's such a big deal where you oh have parties goodness. for tens of thousands of people if you get hole what? in one. That you can have hole in one insurance <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> This is why I don't play golf. I mean, come on. And in those contexts, they always have a tea ceremony. Uh, yeah. This is yeah. lucky yeah. for them. All right. And in here, no you can get hole-in-one insurance, but it's more a competition. So it's a hole-in-one uh, and you win a car. So there's an insurance for if you get a hole-in-one, you give the car. Well, the organizers have insurance to you know wow. cover the cost of that 50K, 100K love it. car. I mean, I love the subtle plug for insurance too. That, I mean, amazing work there. All my insurance stories. Okay, moving love right it. along. Yes. So uh, my recent mistake, I wouldn't say it's a big one, but I'm someone who's very direct in my communication. So if I'm... If I've got a friend or any kind of relationship where something isn't going well or something's out of whack, I would tend to just bring it up and in a very low-key way and, and not make it a serious matter of it. But I had a recent example where I was uh, with a friend and I just noticed some problem emerging. Nothing big. So because I thought it was minor, I thought, I'll just bring it up. And I, I heard this phrase a while back, which was the most successful relationships are sometimes the ones with the lowest tolerance, which sounds counter to what you'd think. But if you just bring things up when things go wrong, then going forward, that person will know that that's, you know, as opposed to those things simmering underneath mm -hmm. the surface. So anyway, I brought this thing up, but how I operate and what I learned was how I operate was very different to how they operated. And I don't think the extreme direct approach was compatible to how that other person best wow. received information. Uh -oh. So then, so then we stopped talking for a little while, but then have picked things up since, but, but the learning there was, just because you operate a certain way doesn't mean that's how someone else operates. So when you're communicating something, it's best to get in their shoes and think, what is the best way I can 
deliver this message in a way that they are going to be receptive to. So that was my mm. recent mistake and, and learning. Anyway, over to you guys. Mm. So Natalie, do you want to start first? What was your big mistake? And we are looking at this in the context of business particularly. So mm. take us there. What have you got for Mine us? Mine was a lot bigger than that. <laughs> Mine, I, I, I actually, I was thinking about it in the car trip here and I'm going to break it down into two mistakes because it's one that led to a second. And it's it, 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 the biggest mistake was a, also a real light bulb moment for me. I've never worked in corporates. I don't understand structure. I see myself and have always been a part of a small team that you just get in and do stuff. And then as we grew Hatch, which was our investment company, um, we grew the team. And what I didn't realize, the big mistake I made was not recognizing that as you add layers and you hire people they don't see you as one of the person people mucking in and doing stuff they see you as a leader and therefore they respond to you in a completely different way so to your point about direct communication what works when you've got four or five of you sitting around dealing with stuff if you take that same direct communication or that same problem solving approach to someone who's in their first job and this sounds like a really stupid mistake now but it's exactly how I approached it and you're like right sitting right beside them and you're critiquing they're terrified they're traumatized and they feel like they have been put through this really awful experience so that's the mistake that I made can I just push that out was there a particular that's a hypothetical at the moment was there a particular example that comes to mind when you when I you think there was that? a lot of bumblings I think there was um there's probably multiple examples that come to mind but they're just I mean they're small examples but um, they were all from this idea that I felt like I was sitting alongside them having a conversation and they viewed me as someone who was on a massive pedestal. Um, and so we, we learned a lot from that about how we, who we talk to and how. Um, but this, I think what it led to was the second, which is probably the biggest, biggest mistake, is I have for a very long time understood that shame is the worst emotion you can have. And what it led me to is I felt so horrified by the impact that I felt I was having on people rather than doing the obvious and talking about it and raising it with people like Kristen and saying, um, I feel like there's something wrong here and seeing it as this small challenge to solve, I internalized it. And I probably spent about, it's probably about six months feeling absolutely miserable. It impacted my whole life. Like I felt like, the worst person and like an absolute failure. And it only was when <laughs> I think through the grapevine, um, I'd told someone and they'd told Kristen and she rang me being like, I just wanted to clarify this thing. This is not a big thing that it just occurred to me how much it had had this incredibly negative impact on my life. Um, yeah. And so the advice I give to people now is, it's such a simple thing to recognize when you see yourself as sitting alongside someone, but you're hierarchically above them, recognize they do not see you like that. And you can avoid this, what I found quite a horrifying situation. Mm. <laughs> what, what? Just launched straight into it. Mm. <laughs> so how has that approach changed going forward? What do you do now that works? So in a practical sense, we did a couple of things. We actually added layers. So we identified the people in the organization who had the professional maturity to actually meet us where we're at. So we added those sort of conduits, like we used to call them translators, who you could sit down and just get stuck into things with. And then they could take that and sit alongside other people and communicate that as a, um, as a, 
ally, really. Mm. Um, the second thing is very much to step out of the doing and recognise that actually being a leader isn't sitting alongside entry-level people, um, mid-managers, is to actually go, how do, we, how do we have the impact without having to have one-on-one -on -one relationships? So sort of removing yourself from the situation. Those are the things. But the third, the third biggest thing is never be afraid to raise something that you think you've absolutely mucked up. Because most things, I'm an open book. I'm very much a, if I've mucked something up, I'm the first to raise my hand and go, oh, I think I just did something stupid. But there are those some things that trigger the shame switch that you just go against. All your instincts are just telling you to clam up and hide and blame yourself and judge yourself. And it's just such a simple thing to go, just put up your hand and say it to someone mm. you trust because they will always take have your back on it and it'll solve this awful feeling that you have. Mm. There's been a lot of discussion around how the hierarchy can be a bit dysfunctional, but from your experience, would you say that actually there are a lot of benefits going through what you went through? Yeah, I think we both sort of found that, that there is, is hierarchy, it's such a, it could go either way because I definitely think hierarchies are there for a reason but I think they can probably be examined. So we could identify people within the business who may sit several layers down in the official hierarchy, but could operate at the mm. level. And so they could, and we had quite a, we didn't have a flat structure, but we had a, an incredibly collaborative way of working where people would work across. We're doing a talk mm. soon on ra radical collaboration. People would work across the business. So you could identify those people, but definitely I think I learned that hierarchy does actually it is there for a reason mm. um because it, it's just amazing what a pedestal people put you on as a leader and how much it um it impacts the way they receive what you're saying in a way you just don't necessarily realize mm. Kristen, we might well, come back to that. Well, um, I want to, before I share Go my mistake, I, I, just some learning, um, I think, uh, interesting as people have children and, and how we raise them is I think what we were most surprised about. And I think every generation does this. But when you're like, when I was that age, mm -hmm. I would have done this. And you place your lens and life experience in other people and you operate as such because you would have wanted that feedback or you would have come into work and delivered above and beyond because you're hungry to get to the next stage and so you've got these you've got your lens and your generational like when we were that age but then we do have this generation now that are genuinely different and so mm. that was our first time that we mm. hired a lot of young people and uh, we were uh, chatting with a couple of friends last night who've equally hired their first actually um, Gen Z and we hired millennial and Gen Z and um, it is quite interesting that they value different things. Mm. Um, some need more direct, uh, direct handholding and coaching. Um, their expectations of what work looks like. We've heard this whole quiet quitting thing mm. is different. And so we can't force them into what we want. I think the biggest challenge for leaders and managers going forward is how do we inspire them and engage them to do what we want but not yeah, because I just found it um, the critiquing, for example, um, we operate in a way that we just tear each other's work apart. But the minute you do it with um, someone who's slightly younger, I don't know if it's because we raise them in such a great job trying, but sometimes the work's not good enough. Like it's actually mm. not good enough and it can't go out into the wild. And they view that as a direct blight on them. So there's this personal 
um, work thing that's interchangeable. That's their identity, which I get it. We're all mm. like that. And we grow, we grow, particularly women, we grow that thick skin that ends up separating the personal from the professional. But anyway, I guess my point just was, um, it's just so interesting where we're now we're navigating this complexity where we have to be so sensitive and we have mm-hmm. to be really, we just have to manage in a whole different way. And it's I, such a shame, sorry, and I'll just go say, it's such a shame because in many ways, you know, taken to taken that to this extreme, you're actually doing them a disservice by yeah, not being up totally. front. Although there the are ways term. you can do it. And I think that's what I learned is uh, to your point earlier about how you have to change your approach. Of, yeah. You have to maybe spend a lot more time building trust, put in people who sit alongside them and, and to what Kristen said, that separation of the work from the person that you mm. have to just really focus on how you deliver that feedback and who delivers that feedback that to circumnavigate it because I don't think a solution is to not do it I don't think there is in my world in startup land there is no solution that is put out mediocre work that is not one and I think the other critical part of that it is in a startup so when you are jumping from um, a team of five to a team of 65 you're rapidly navigating your way up a hierarchy in a way that in a traditional mm. organization you don't so your role changes daily weekly yeah. so it's um that was the other that's yeah. the other element to it as well that you sometimes forget your roles fundamentally changed overnight again yeah when you are dealing with the people in your team and one of my mistakes has to relate to that I think but my well, I have also two mistakes very different stages of my career um I don't have um I've made lots of little mistakes but the ones that are memorable that are big um, one is uh, for some reason I think back to my uni days and graduating uni and um, at the time in Canada and maybe my parents I don't know but it was this very structured I was in doing a BCom and when you leave that you go to work for a multinational and you go blah, blah, and there's like this like prescriptive kind of pathway and now that I look back um, and even think about my jump into the startup world that was um, due to my mom who was like if you don't do this now, you're never going to do it. Cause I did corporate up until um, 12 years ago, 10 years ago. And um, yeah, but a decade ago. So I think my mistake is that I didn't take risks enough with my career. Mm. Um, I took a lot of personal risk and a lot of risk putting myself out of my comfort zone and moving to new countries or traveling with babies or, um, you know, going to live abroad for a year when I was a teen. Like, I think there's these times in my life where I was deeply uncomfortable in my stomach. But when I think about my career, when people are on their deathbed, um, I listened, I learned the stat one time that 99% of people have said on their deathbed to hospice nurses or whoever nurses, I wish I'd taken more risks in my life because that is the time where you reflect. And I can look back now and say, I wish I'd taken more risks in my career. I don't know what that looks like. And I'm not, tr- but I also think that was, that's a tough expectation to put on a 20 year old that has all this constri- structure and constraints around me. But I wonder where I'd be today had I taken more risks then. I often um, think this as well. Yeah. And I do a lot, actually. and I, But I also reflect on how there's so much pressure mm. on you as a teenager or in your early 20s around make a decision. Who are you going to be? What are you going to do? Oh, you're going to be a lawyer. Oh, that's your pathway. That's what you this do. This is what and, it looks like. This is what it looks like. Yeah. So I don't think that actually I had the people around me yeah. that I do now 
who would have said it's really okay to take all these risks and it's really okay to fail big, fail fast yeah. and do all of this. It was yeah. a very much, a, mm. yeah, we are allergic to failure. It, that is not an option. You yeah. must succeed and you must do this and all of this sort of stuff. And it, even if it yeah. was myself telling me that, I'm not saying that everyone was giving me loads of pressure. I'm saying that it's my own pressure. Yeah, mostly yeah, that, yeah. Oh, I, I want to be a partner of a law firm. This is how I'm going to do yeah, it. Right. Yeah. I'm not, and, I, and also I need, I need money. You know, people always forget that. Like That's what right. it feels like to be in your... Um, early 20s yeah. or teenage years and if you haven't got wealthy parents so yeah. it's just, it's a different vibe yeah but yeah. Kristen you took a I was interested to read that you took a gap year after school which was correct yes. me if I'm wrong somewhat highly encouraged by your mum yes and this kind of goes back because I was in a similar position straight after high school I took a year out mm. and I am so indignant that that was one of the best things I could have done at that stage of life. Similarly, mm-hmm. because if I didn't do it then, I may not have done it. And true enough, I haven't done something like that since. I wow. haven't taken strictly an OE. But going back to what we were talking before about that younger generation, is that something, you know, you've got teenagers at this yeah. point. Is that something that you want to encourage them to do after high school? And uh, if that's the case, you know, what did you get out of doing taking that time out. so my gap year um was quite traumatic <laughs> i have to be honest um in that i was uh, barely 18 years old um and uh traveling the you know got on a plane and traveled europe by myself and i'd never left home before other than trips overseas with my mom um but I think I was home. I was homesick the entire time, and I ate way, my way through Europe. So I came mm. back three times my weight. So I came back overweight. I was totally homesick, and um, at that point, Mum was like, "Well, do you want to go to university for business or for journalism?" And journalism was on the other side of Canada. This is this risk-taking thing, and I was like, "I've just been so homesick." I'm just going to stay at the local university and do business degree. So um, it's just funny how life works. So. As a result of my experiences, um, I am making my children do step one, step two, step three um, kind of um, experiences, like more of a stepped approach. Because uh, that that like seven, eight months out of the house when you're 18 years old is pretty crazy. Like that was pretty crazy. With no me. structure. and No, there was yeah. nothing. Because university is often that, right, you go into a hall. So you're sort of taking a stepped approach rather yeah. than off you go into the world for your own bar. Yeah, like I got off the totally plane in Rome country. and I was just like, oh my gosh, like what, what am I doing? And everyone's drinking at university yeah. and I'm in Rome and I'm just like, well, I've got to find a hotel without being attacked, you know. So there was just this thing of that was real intense, but that was a rule of my mom. So. How I've broken it down, I told Adeline, all of my daughter, all of these things. And I said, so what I, I've just put her on that 10 day spirit of adventure. That was step one. She's off to uh, Denmark on a three month exchange at the in between year 12 and 13. That's step two. And year step three is actually going abroad for uni. So I actually want her to get out of New Zealand and do uni. And it's so funny now that I hear myself because my mom forced me to do, uh, get my degree. That's very Canadian. You can't do anything without that piece of paper. And I'm doing it with my kids um, with my daughter because um I don't know it's just a pathway I'm like I want her to at least have a year or two under her belt if she decides she doesn't want to stay so anyway I'm doing three steps with her um and the same thing with my son he wants to play professional football and I've just like accepted it 
So we're going to send them to Germany to do some trials at the end of this year at the age of 15. So I feel like they're just going to get slightly different, but almost like, I don't want to say safer, but slightly more controlled I like stages. That stage, <laughs> a phased approach. And I also yeah. think... And what's their take on that? Well, I don't know. They don't have a choice, maybe? No, I, I think, think it think works, it's, it's working idea. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like you, you approach it, you're an influencer, you approach it in a way that they probably wouldn't know that they're being forced to do it. Yeah. <laughs> they think it's their idea. Yeah, mm. but I think that sort of highlights another thing is mistakes are such an interesting, like we, because I think we both struggle to think of any because I think we turned all our mistakes into assets, really. And I think what you, when you talk about that first trip away and having the homesickness, that you could have taken two approaches after that and what it seems like you've done now is go, okay, here's here's what I learned from it. Here's how I'm going to improve it. But when you're like 18, you don't think like that. And and because that was a thing for me too is I went straight into business in university. I started my first business in university. And that, I mean, through multiple things led to it being an absolute cluster. And that led to me taking less risks. But in my 39-year-old yeah. self would go, what made that a cluster? Okay, well, let's learn from that. But when you're so young, you don't necessarily have that context to go, oh, that's that's all it was. Like, it was just one example. Now, yeah. my natural character will always be to play devil's advocate. Yeah. So your comment was, how do we encourage young people to take more risks? But yet you're saying, I want you to do it this way and there's going to be a structure and there's going to be some mm. steps. So are you feeding into that or are you making it better? Possibly, I but I don't think anyone today could hand on heart go the world is a safe place. And it's not as safe as it was 20 years ago when I did this. It's just not. Like, it's simply not. there. It's. I know. also think the other thing, if to devil's advocate, your devil's advocate, is, <laughs> <laughs> is what you actually need to be able to make mistakes is a safe space to fail. Mm. And I I think what you're doing by a stage approach is creating a safe space to fail whereas being sent overseas you don't have that safe space to fail and that can scar you and lead you not to being able to learn from it improve on it so there's security in the structure in other words it's a bit like what we're saying with university there's you know that that routine there that structure if you've got that held loosely then there's still this sense of direction and still that safety yeah and in a way as a as a leader of people you provide to nat's point of stepping into leadership is you provide the structure and within that those kind of the boundaries people can experiment they can fail they can learn um but you've provided kind of a safer place um thing to do it rather than like I need this thing and they go away for three months and develop the thing and it ends up being the wrong thing. And so maybe it's, we've just kind of figured out how to limit risk and. And in creating the, that safe space in business, is there a system or a process you've used or would, would you yeah. say I've, I've created a process? Yeah. yeah, I think we did. I yeah, think that about very early lessons. I mean, we just grew hyper growth. Like when you think we tripled the size of our company in six months or something mm-hmm. like it's, I mean, I, I remember looking it up at the time. It's just sort of ridiculous. Um, but what we actually ended up doing is completely restructuring how we worked. So we were sort of designing how we worked as well as designing the thing we were doing. And so what that led to um, is this, environment where you identify key leaders and they work alongside you and they can be your translators but you also create an environment of experimentation and of really buying into your north star and getting so excited about it 
and having this ability to run these experiments where some of them will work and some of them won't work, but also reinforcing every time that that's a success. Failure is a success in that environment because we've learned something we didn't know. And then what we found is you just need to build that critical mass. You get those first people you identify and then those people bring more people on board and then you get this critical mass of people and suddenly it went from us pushing out this is how we want to work and this is how we achieve exceptional. We actually had our people holding us to account as well and being when we tried to jump yeah and they went from push resisting it and feeling that um initial panic of oh my gosh they're questioning everything and they're challenging everything to being their expectation as they have that so we've both left the company now and one of the greatest highlights of my life now when you have the context of my mistake is the number of people who have also moved on for Hatch or who are still at Hatch who now contact me going I trust that you are the one person I can turn to to be honest with me and I don't feel comfortable now doing my job without having that kind of feedback which and I've had that on like there's some just some delightful examples of people going you're the first person I reach out to because we created Mm. that environment we learned from our mistakes Mm. or from my big mistakes created this environment that now is the only way people would disappointed that they don't get to work like that anymore even though at the beginning it was so confronting now they're just in there asking each other challenging each other and going if we want to achieve truly exceptional things we have to have this environment where we back each other and we make mistakes and we get excited about it rather than protecting our patch which Mm. is I think we call it career baggage that a lot of organizations promote and reward people based on individual outputs Mm. but they really once they see the joy on a collaborative outcome and this result they achieve together people don't want to go back and we actually called it I should say we actually called it a name and it was called the flow and it was something that was innate to us Nat and I and we could do the flow in our brains like you would be presented with a challenge or an opportunity and we do it all the time right you're presented with something and then you go through a process of um, what are all the ways I could solve that thing? What are the constraints I have to work with? Is there time I have to make the decision by tomorrow? I have to whatever. Um, and then, and then, what are the things of, I don't know? What are the things yeah. I need to find out? What and are then, we actually trying to achieve? And here? then you go, well, what's the smallest way I could do this thing to mi- minimize risk? And how can I like put the smallest thing to test if this is even going to work? Like you might go talk to your friend um, and bounce some ideas off that person. So I think we do it naturally as humans. Nat and I do it naturally that's quite a startup method methodology of working and you can do it we could do it really quick in our brains and all of a sudden when we had 20 30 people we were like why are they working like that and why can't they they see us working really fast because we can do the flow really fast and then um so we had to actually stop all work we introduced everybody to what the flow was. So every single problem or opportunity that came at Hatch, like, do you want to be a part of this trade show? Do you want to sponsor us for this? So marketing decisions right down to like, you know, our customers are asking us for this feature um, as part of the product. So I think we we then put a number of teams on that process. So that's how we gave them the freedom within that process to be creative and, you know, yeah. be heard but with our safe constraints. <laughs> and then and then you hit those points where you've now got examples because there was examples where something didn't happen. And that felt really scary when people were like, it's a bad idea, we've wasted all this time. We're like, have you? Or mm. have you saved us a ton of time? Yeah. And then once they start seeing those examples and being part of them, the light bulb goes off. And yeah. yeah, so that's, I suppose, what we mean about you have to create a safe space to fail in order for mistakes to be a good thing. Because if it's not safe, you get put off for life or you totally... 
don't do something again and that actually becomes a real mistake. Yeah. And how fascinating that people still reach out for you for honesty, for not being judged and definitely not being shamed because of what you created in the past. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that is such a huge reward because, you know, that takes a lot. That was a challenging time for mm. us to reframe how we worked while growing. Well, like you don't get immediate payoff. Mm. <laughs> for a long time, you're like, what happens if this doesn't work? But, then- <laughs> but that, you know, what's so interesting is we did write um, as part of Power Suit, our new venture, we did write a newsletter today that we put out that was leading versus leadership versus management and how actually it's very very different and that would have been an example of Nat kind of going from managing to leading Mm -hmm. especially when you're like oh I've got to actually stop doing the doing and I've got to step back um but a mistake uh, my biggest mistake going from managing to leading was um was in another startup and we had six months less than six months of cash in bank and we, I think we had maybe 25 people. And that is a very scary place to be because these are people that have mortgages and, and everything. And six months is like a bit of the death trap because it can take way longer than that to raise money. And I used to come into work because I, um, Nat and I take our work very seriously. <laughs> she wasn't at this startup, but we are just born this way. We are like <laughs> cut and like, it's huge ownership. We take huge ownership of every job, actually. But even <laughs> in corporate, I took huge ownership. Anyway, um, and um, I would walk into, I uh, just the weight of this stress was unbearable. And I'd walk into work and I didn't know this, but I showed my eyes were bulging out of my head. And I had someone um, delightful who we're great friends with now. Sorry, always, but like still great friends with who um, actually quit as a result of me and my stress because she knew what was going on. And so um, that came also back in a 360 degree review. They're like, we can always like Kristen's amazing. I'm just have to say I'm like (laughs) all the good stuff about me. But no, I'm kidding. Um, But I think (laughs) the bad thing was like we, we always know when Kristen's stress, she wears her stress on her um, sleeve um, and it stresses us out because wow. when Kristen's stressed, we are like stressed. And I used to get stressed in Hatch too. But I had this amazing founder group that we would go to the bar because yeah. a lot of it's irrational as well. You could work your way out of stress and into it. And um, we'd go to the bar and we'd just figure it out. And the, and I had to I had these things where I'd throw it out there and they would do the come down talk. They're like... Kristen, that's so dumb because of this and like your because and this is all your baggage that comes from childhood and failure and all this stuff, right? So they would talk me down. But at that time, I didn't. And I came into work with a baggage. And that was a huge, um, not only did I lose a really great staff member, um, but I was freaking people out. And um, I had to learn to be a leader. You have to just sometimes put on the Find the a new calm. and and discuss, Yeah, I had to yeah. put on the calm. Yeah. And that was great advice. Yeah. And yeah. Tell me about this founder group. Oh, well, this was um the Hatch co-founders. So they oh. so we just happened to complement one another really well. Um, in, in that, um, we just all had different little parts to play in this very complex startup. Uh, so it was good to have different brains associated with it. So you had the complexity of financial and tech together and the complexity of working in a corporate. So we all brought these little pieces, um, as part of it. 
And um, that was just the group that we also clicked as friends. Not only did we click as a working group, but we could go to the bar and have a really great time together. Amazing. Even though we were <laughs> so bar, quirky. The bars come up a lot, but the bar was like a key part <laughs> well, of we, our success. Well, we would go to Badger, a bar. We honey, went, Badger and Wellington. We went to That's a bar Badger. called Badger's, so our group was called Badger's. <laughs> it was, we would spend hours there and that was because that was the thing where you were just like, and I, you say you wear your stress on your sleeve, but I feel like the great thing about that dynamic is that in any one point, there is like a crisis facing your business. It's There's, you know, multitudes of things with a startup. Mm-hmm. And so having the situation where you had, you were overpowered, like you could just be completely yourself. You could say, I don't, like you could say completely honestly, the biggest, scariest, most irrational thing on your brain, which was weekly, and it would just, you'd come out with the weight off your shoulders, oh. and then you'd be able to go into the office yeah, the next exactly. day and be calm. And that was a huge, like, that I helped. could not underestimate the benefit of the Honey Badger Bar and the ability to well, sit around and just let it all out. And I think we we now think, and thankfully we're co-founding and, and co-CEOing a new venture, but I the people that do it on their own is always shocking yeah. to me. And some VC investors, uh, or angel investors will not invest in solo founders because they know that job is too hard. It is so hard. Um, so it's a, a lot of people don't like the solo founder approach. The other thing is, is as per managing and leading is leadership gets lonelier and lonelier and lonelier and very lonely at the mm-hmm. top. And until you get to those levels, you don't recognize how you need equals around you. So you're not to freak out or intimidate yes. or yes. kill, you know, crush yeah. the people yeah. below you. And you can still learn. That was, we, we did a workshop recently and that was a big theme of the woman. And it's funny as you grow up, you're like, oh my goodness. Cause now all our friends are in this position where We've all risen up and now they're all in the same boat of, I do this role, I have no one around me to support my specific needs because I have people who are sitting alongside me, but they're in a different boat or I have people who sit under me and less people, very few people sitting above me. And where do you get that peer group? That's what we basically had, this peer group that you could be entirely yourself and just let the ugly hang out. And irrational. Hmm. So we've, I just want to move the conversation slightly now towards an elaboration of what we've been talking about, which is that teamwork business partner side Mm. of things. We've touched on our big mistakes and Natalie, I read somewhere and please feel free to correct this if this is incorrect because you can't always believe what you read online. But I found a quote from you that said something like, so I usually call Kristen (laughs) and we talk to each other in a million miles an hour while we make our respective journeys into the office. And if you've ever seen us together, you'll know that that's how we roll. And the reason I bring this up is because you two so obviously, and even Natalie, we were talking about this at dinner last night, where you two so obviously complement each other. Hmm. What advice would you give to uh, individuals who are looking for a business partner uh, what tell us a bit about in, in his words the magic that happens across the table here? Oh, so we have to break this down. Okay. I, th- I was going to say initially the quote actually is incorrect. As we talk at each other, <laughs> and we still do. I, 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 while you this think, is my favorite type of conversation. <laughs> I think because there's a pivotal moment actually about while you think um, that I and I think is the. 
key is we came together as strangers. So we had never, I remember the first time we met, Kristen was like 20 minutes late and she rocked in as Kristen. And I was like, who is this powerhouse of a woman? But we, so we started from strangers and we started from strangers building this thing, well, validating a thing initially and then building it. Um, and there was this one moment, and because um, I don't know if it's obvious from my example of mistake, but I, I'm also a direct communicator, but I also am an external processor and I think on my feet. And so there was, I can't remember what it was, but I do remember it was in the kitchen of our second office. And I'd said, like Kristen, and you just said, I know what you're getting at, but I need a bit of time to process it and get back to you. And when you do this, you're putting me on the spot and it makes me defensive. And it was this incredible wow. moment to me of, because you put it probably in an even nicer way than that, of like, we trusted it. We'd come to this point of trust that we could have that conversation and go, oh, that's easy to solve. So then I started going, okay, I'm going to go there and then be like, okay, or text it and be like, you come back to me when you want. And so we changed how we worked. And I think the second point was when I'm probably at the, um, the concept of the bar, but um, where you started to merge the professional with the personal. And I feel like it's probably unhealthy, but like we would text each other in the weekend or call when we had an idea or you start to rely on each other for far more. You see each other as a holistic person rather than a business. Because it is, it's this incredibly weird relationship and actually when we started power suit a lot of people were like are you guys like together together because <laughs> it's like this really unique relationship where you're like i mean we're like share, uh, single beds in a hotel room also. we have slumber parties and we've always done that when we've got away Kristen's booked accommodation we've always booked airbnbs or something where we hang out like we actually just enjoy each other's company so those two things felt like the real critical points of that almost the vulnerability and trust and seeing each other as whole people. And they're just yeah. those moments. Yeah, the trust is so huge. And when I, and so trust is really big and respect yes, um, is the other respect. one I'd add. And that's when I think, because um, I've got a great relationship with my husband and I kind of think, um, why is that? And number one, I trust him. But number two, I actually respect yes. who he is. And I'm like, I respect that he's, you know, I don't know, um, I res actually respect that he's a smart human. I respect that he loves um, to go out and um, go out into the outdoors and he takes care of our family and he's great fought. So there's all these like things. And so with Nat, it's like I genuinely respect her intelligence and her superpowers. They complement mine. I trust that like, oh, we're just on the same page with wanting whatever we do. We take it really seriously and have this huge ownership. And the other thing is like the third thing, I think, um, with founders, when you're getting in, into something so intense, you actually have to have a good time with them. And that was the, <laughs> that's the bar thing, yeah. because there's so many yuck times and lows <laughs> that you actually just have to like them and want to hang out with them as humans. And have a joke about it. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so I think yeah. it's those three things. It's probably it just like a, a marriage, isn't it? Admiration. Yeah, well, that's the, respect. that's the respect. Yeah. It all comes under respect. And yeah. I think there's also, I, I think on, just to build on that, um, I like that you had to point out that you did in fact have a husband and that we're not in a relationship. <laughs> I'd just like to clarify to everyone, there's no relationship. Um, but I think that admiration... And well, the, you were going on about hotels. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Kyle, everything's okay. I'm coming home. Um, <laughs> but I think the other thing with the um, admiration and the respect is what I came to realise really quickly is we... Are better than this, greater than the sum of our parts. Like either one of us 
I think is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good at what we do. Yeah. But when we came together, I started to notice like I would walk out of, I'd come in with an idea or something. And when we'd leave, mm. it was sixfold better yeah. because we'd broken it apart. So it's not that we always agree. In fact, we disagree quite a lot. And that's the superpower to go, wow, this is now so much better than either of us could have come up with alone. And as, that is as, so cool. As Ian Burns from C- the CEO, <laughs> ex-CEO of Kiwi Wealth, and now um, sits on the on the chair of ANZ, uh, sorry, he sits on the board of ANZ Wealth, um, he would go, does one plus one equal three? Yeah. And I think there, you know, does it? Does it in a marriage? Does it in a business partnership? Is the one plus one equals three? Because then, you know, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So easy to come by. <laughs> <laughs> what strikes me about your process and relationship, and I know you've got something to say, so you can jump in. This is more of just an observation. But it was very organic. And I think probably people can find themselves in a sticky situation when they're so desperate to find someone to peer with mm. that they're willing to compromise or not willing to trial. You know, you had a period together where you were just working together before you yes, yes, mm. yes. But if you're in a state of, I suppose it goes for any relationship, right? Like if you're desperately looking for a romantic partner, then perhaps you end up cutting corners or making compromises that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, well, I mean, in a in a corporate situation, I suppose um, that, yeah, maybe different. I, can, I can't think of my brain right now isn't going there. But in a startup situation, you can start with um, not, not having equity partnership and you can actually find um, someone who's a consultant or a, contra- or a contractor, mm. right? You can mm. start with a contractor. Mm. And I'm mentoring um, someone who's starting a business right now and um, a startup in the financial space. And she is a solo um, uh, founder. And I just said, you really want to go through this with someone. And she wasn't, her CTO didn't want to commit. And she was wondering if she should give equity to him. And I said, absolutely no. not. Because he's not, the, the thing is, is people who commit take the risk. Mm. He is not on the same page with you about risk. He wants you to de-risk the whole business and wants a chunk of your business, which is going to be worth far more. But she needed that tech side of things. So I said, he's not the right person. Go and find a, co- a c- contractor who might grow into your co-founder. But then she said, but there's this like great friend of mine who helps me out 20 hours a week and she's incredible and she gets the North Star. And I don't know, I hadn't even thought about it as a co-founder. And I think, I think you found your co-founder. Like she was just as passionate. Mm. It didn't matter that she could only do 20 hours. She's got a small child at home. That can be reflected Mm. in the equity. But it's like that to me, she kept going, ah, I actually look to her and I was like, that's the magic. Mm. And I wonder if one formal way that you can start to dig into that outside of this organic side is we were very quick to write down our values. And our values mm. um, evolved over time, but the values of Hatch <laughs> started, intensity was the first one, which got cut pretty quickly when other people came in going, <laughs> what? we don't want to be that intense, but as you can see with both Your of value us, is intensity. Well, yeah, we valued amazing. intensity. So we, but what that led to I is the four that. of us co-founders <laughs> had to really grapple with them. Like what were the things that all four of us could agree on that we valued and we would commit to? Because we weren't like, we wouldn't, intense we were never people who were going to shove it in a drawer and go tick that was a nice exercise this was our agreement was we were going to live and breathe and make our decisions by these values and so we really spent a lot of time on them and on the nuance of them and that was a I suppose a much more structured way of going are we on the same page and if we valued intensity and two others didn't what does that mean about our dynamic Um, so we actually grappled with quite a few and that's probably an exercise that's really worth going 
through before you start something with people like because a lot comes out it's almost like pre-marriage counseling you are going what do we agree is important to us and what are we not agreeing on because this becomes our rule book and if you say we agree on intensity but you want to go um swanning off or work three days a week or value flexibility over it this is the time to say it because yeah. we can figure out if we both agree on that or and not. the and the other thing actually that we had to scrap was honesty and we tried it on for size <laughs> and we turned it into transparency didn't we yes. there is a difference but honesty um and honesty was that perfect example of me with my face with us going into cat like if honesty is your value you have to tell your people you only have six months of cash left which is not always appropriate. Um, sometimes it is, and some people let some people live by that. But the other honesty thing was, if we decided we wanted to be honest with our um, team, which is when you think of your team when you create your values, we also, and this was a huge um, driver of Nats, was you have to also um, have your values to your customers. And so I'm not saying we weren't honest to our customers, but let's just say there's a little glitch, like our CTO forgets to pay the um, domain URL and the site goes down overnight. You're probably not going to go, we forgot to pay our bill to our customers and be honest. Mm. And that's like a silly example. But so we thought maybe we'll be transparent and yeah. we'll tell people what they need to know. We wanted to trust and give our customers <laughs> the right information, but the yeah. right information it isn't, isn't always, always honesty. Full, yeah. And that, that's a it great does more example harm of, than good. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that stuff we really grapple. We spent a lot of time at the bar and in other places grappling with that stuff and examples like that to go, how would we, because it is worth, it is worth spending that time. Mm. So the talking every day thing and understanding, I think people are underestimating how important it is to get on with one another. I don't think that's talked about a lot. When you think about businesses, professionals, startups, whatever it is, that points really stuck out for me of mm. getting on with the people that you work with. And that might be us. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I, I think we both agreed very early on, we're in this to change the world. But we're also in this to have a blooming good life and to enjoy what we do every day. Yeah. I don't know if that's everyone else's personal mm. values, but like, so it may not necessarily be as important. But for us, I do not want to turn up to work every day and not be like, this is the coolest group of people I've ever been with. Yeah, and way. it is a combo of the – and because the only danger there – where my little radar went up, what we had to be careful about is when you're hiring. So while the founding group because or, or the executive leadership team, they go through the yuck stuff. And in fact, I've been on an executive leadership team where a couple people don't like one another and it is a disaster. That's where you get silos, you get people digging in mm. and that's where the CEO goes, oh shit, and brings in the professional help to do all the, the stuff. And in the end, one person ends up leaving because there's just a professional, you know, doesn't oil and water. And I think the executive executive leadership team has to respect it ha they have to trust one another that they have the best in mind for the outcomes of the business not not their little domains and then the other thing is is to enjoy one another because you should go have some great social time however the only caveat I would do with with you don't actually have to like the people you hire um, is because um, it doesn't matter. You are hiring them um, so that they fulfill their potential and drive you faster and in a better way um, to, to the North Star. Yeah. You don't have to be friends with your staff because the risk of that is you get to that mirrortocracy where you're hiring people that are just like you mm. and you get those homogeneous cultures where everyone is the same. And I can't imagine a bunch of like Nat and Kristen's that 
wouldn't work. But I think, um, yeah, I think that's really dangerous. And that's where we get into people hire the person that they want to go out and have the beer with. So I think there's a huge difference Mm. between the leadership executive founding team and the people you hire. You don't have to go have a beer with your people. Mm -hmm. You don't. I think we also found we hired for trust and respect and capability um, and values. And our values. And in many, many cases, especially at Hatch, I mean, we've gone on to become very good friends. And so, but we didn't hire for that. We specifically didn't hire for that. Yes, because those relationships can sit well outside. Yeah. Yeah. But the hiring one's interesting. We were chatting back to that convo we had yesterday about hiring younger, the next gen generation is, and they're having a, a scenario right now that is a disaster, a total disaster. And they got themselves into a bit of a pickle. And New Zealand law, it makes it very difficult um, to try trial like you just can yeah i mean once you hire someone you hire someone here very different in north america you just give them their walking boxes <laughs> like they literally will march out with their box in hand with a security guard small behind them. companies in new zealand still have the option yeah it's under 20 we, i think yeah they, we were operating though, out of a corporate yeah. as well so we had that yeah. extra which is fine i mean employee yeah. protection great but what it does mean is you have to de-risk and when i said to these people i said oh did you test for your values they went oh No, Mm -hmm. because had you in the interview process tested for your values, which for us ultimately, like our very first one was bold, for example, and we'd hired some risk averse person Mm -hmm. um, who's a no person that wasn't going to work with us. And so they had actually failed to test for the value. Mm -hmm. And so that that's And and by that we specifically mean test, not ask, because everyone will say, yeah, I agree with your values. Behavior. Yeah. You have yeah. to test for how do they align to your values. Yeah, yeah on hiring practices, because I think that's interesting and something that can be helpful to other people. Are there any, can we get a bit more specific, what specific questions or tactics do you use in an interv- interview setting? Yeah, we did to- three three or sometimes four steps, eh, Nat? So the yeah. first step was the coffee, and it was the... This is a quick weed out. It was the overall... Why hatch? Why hatch? Why, yeah. why, why this job? Who are you? Which is is actually an incredibly powerful question to ask. Why Hatch? Um, Because you'll find there are some really interesting cues. Again, going back to testing for your values. For us, we were there to change the way New Zealanders felt about money, change the wealth landscape. So if you said to someone, why Hatch? And they say, oh, I think it's a good opportunity to develop my career. And it's really, I heard you've got flexible work. We're immediately like, that is not the reason. (laughs) The weeding out. There's an immediate weeding out. So So that was a coffee. So we had one person, usually the hiring manager, if it was whoever, Mm -hmm. did the coffee. And then this next scene two was was scenario, was was number two, scenario test. Or was it? No, I think we had more Might have one more We we switched them around depending on the role, but it was normally more of a formal Three people, we were very clear on um, three interviewers because we all recognize we have internal bias. And I'm shocked mm. to hear how many people, especially in leadership positions, are like, oh, I can I can do the interview on my own. And I'm like, but why would you? Because we found very quickly mm. we all had very different strengths in identifying but there was someone on our team who just had an exceptional radar for BS. Really. Yeah, he was so good. And, and so we didn't. Like, we were like, because we're so optimistic. We, we go, were always oh, like, so you're so great. And everything is and like, he would go. Like, and he could point to a couple of examples from the interview. Red flag. And, yeah, and then there was often He would like literally go, person. here are my three red flags. Yes. And we're like, oh. We're like, oh, yeah, we heard them too. Huh. <laughs> um, and so that was more of a, you know, standard traditional interview, um, digging into them, what their history was. All that. And then the third one we added um, 
was quite soon after we started hiring. I think we'd made one or two, I'm going to say mistakes, people who didn't stick around very long because they just did not fit. And we were like, what had we done wrong? And what we realized is we'd put so much emphasis on that formal interview, but what we hadn't done is the testing. Like some people, we were testing people's interview skills. We weren't testing their ability to do their job. Mm. So we added a scenario test, which was a very simple test. We had a couple, depending on the different jobs, and it was, again, to test for our values, and it was to test to see if they could basically put their money where their mouth is. So, you know, you're in a startup, you're having to solve a lot of problems, you're having to deal with a lot of pressure. You have to. So for us, that was, if you could sit down, so we gave people a sheet of paper at the start and we gave them 20 minutes to digest. Um, and that was like a simple scenario. Um, I could give examples, but they're boring. And we'd say, we're doing nothing else for the next hour, but we will leave you in private to think it through, do however you want to do it. We are not interested in the output you give to us. We want to understand how you work. And we were clear on that. And we were clear on that in the lead up. Um, and then we'd walk out of the room and say, come and get us anytime. And that was the next test, right? Because it's how do people interpret very clear. We want to understand how you think. Mm. Uh, some people were still very committed to trying to show that they could deliver something. Other people who um, really had stopped to listen would go, they don't actually care about that. They want to give, they want to understand how I work. Some people wanted to show us that they could do it all on their own. Other people recognized that they needed to be curious and ask questions, was curiosity was one of our values. They didn't actually know anything about the task we'd give them. Deliberately, we'd left it deliberately vague. Wow. So that was another great test of who came to get us. Some people didn't even let us out of the room. They were just like kept asking questions. So there was a totally different approach there. And then they presented it back to us mm. and 40 minutes of 30 minutes odd. And that's where you get, well, how did they think it through? Did they think mm -hmm. it through? Mm -hmm. And um, the most brilliant example I had and was what solidified it for us was we'd had a whole group of people um, applying for, I think it was an operations role or a project manager role. And we'd given them the scenario and every single person had come up with this detailed project plan and this is how they'd approach it. And they'd do this massive tech project and they'd take resources. And, all and then the last person just said, how many people does this impact? And we said, 20. And they said, huh, well, I'd just call them. <laughs> and that was exactly to us the power of the scenario test is wow. who, who gets you and, and who, who will find this environment f fascinating and fun to work in oh, yeah. and who's going to resent it and hate it and have a terrible time yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. So th and then the last one is a, um, a fit. We'd introduce people another to culture other teams. Some we, we grab a developer and throw them in an interview, take them out for coffee, that kind of yeah. thing. Did you anyway. like them? Did yeah. you, would you work yeah. with them? Did you notice anything? Again, that bias, internal bias. Did you notice anything that was uncomfortable? Also, it's part of engagement. Everyone did everything at Hatch. So mm. like, yes, you are important enough to be in a hiring decision, mm. even if you're three days into your job. <laughs> so yeah, so it worked. Amazing. Amazing. I'm going to change topic now. Mm. I'm going to talk about PowerSuit. Oh, great. Which is a new venture. Yeah. And any mistakes, failures, hurdles, problems? No, we are going to make no mistakes with PowerSuit <laughs> because we've learned them all. I think I said that to um, I, th I said that to someone and they go, oh, no, 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 no. you'll just make all yeah. new mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> you just won't make any of the same No, we're ones. done with mistakes. Yeah, yeah, we're done with mistakes. Um, no, I would say we're taking a really uh, very process-driven approach to developing a new business. 
um, which is the first first thing is we identified a problem, which was there aren't enough women in leadership positions. Um, we know it's a problem, as evidenced by the numbers of women that drop out in the pipeline on the way to the top. And I think there's two things with that use. It's process. You make it sound so boring. but It the, is boring. <laughs> it, but is, it literally is. It is boring, but it's also, I business. think that first step was a key for a couple of reasons. One is that we both, when we discovered that problem, and we discovered a ton of problems, the world is full of problems, um, We that was the one we felt we could live and breathe. Yeah. We felt like True. emotionally it resonated with us, and we're thinking forward to the next 10 years of our lives going, when everything's turning to custard and it's hard and we're in that grind again, are we going to jump out of bed every morning? And we went, yes. <laughs> Whereas to like a new email platform, <laughs> yeah. MailChimp competitor, yes. you're like, no, not really. No, I'm probably going to just stay in bed that day. <laughs> um, and then I think the second part about that is we had to get over our own, I call it internal gaslighting now, with that problem. When you have any conversation about women in leadership and diversity and gender, I, I was starting to get this weird, awkward, like, oh, it feels like we keep having this conversation. We recognize there's a lot of privilege in our position. We recognize that this is just part of the diversity problem. There's a lot of stuff. Um, and isn't, like in quotation marks, isn't women done now? And so that was actually a really yeah. interesting part of this process is really deeply understanding the problem and what on the surface seems like a problem that has been tried to be solved for ages that feels like it's kind of maybe starting to irritate people that we keep banging on about it you just start to scratch beneath the surface and you're, you're like, like still not oh solved. my goodness yeah. this is Huge. probably one of the biggest problems facing the world yeah. going forward it impacts around half the population yeah. of any country and we don't have to solve the whole thing and that's that kind of difference between a vision and a purpose is like we want equity in the world we don't we can't be responsible for all of that so we can go which part of this problem can we like are we uniquely uniquely positioned to solve do we care enough about solving that align with our superpowers and for us it was kind of how could we take um for lack of a better term silicon valley although that's moving to austin um Mm. big article the other day on that but silicon valley approach to um how can we impact the reason i like the silicon valley approach is not because of the culture and what what it represented but because they thought big they thought bold they thought world changing first um and when they did anything they wanted to impact the most amount of people as possible Mm. and so um that was the approach rather than, oh, let's just start a meetup or start a peer group um, because then we're only ever touching five or, you know, 20 people um, at a time and, and maybe just this little enclave in Wellington. And so for us, it was um, for us, it was if we were to take a Silicon Valley approach, while we still, to Nat's point, couldn't solve it all, we could apply um, our superpowers in this one area, which is the pipeline um, of leadership. And so we know diversity works. We know that peop- um, businesses that have diversity um, outperform those that don't. We know that women who sit on boards and women who sit in C-suite outperform those com- outperform those companies that don't. And um, but yet women are dropping out at um, you know he- enormous rates um, due to well a number of factors, which we will try and influence and raise awareness. But for us, we want to empower the women who are putting their hands up, who are ready to take to the, ne- the next step, and don't quite know how to put all the pieces together to do that be it finding a group of people like a peer network to learn from and connect with be it to kind of learn the next critical thing they need to learn on their journey or be it to get advice and actually get formal advice 
to learn how to negotiate a pay rise or get over a hump. So if we were able to put all of that st- stuff together in a platform, what could that look like? We don't know, but we, do. <laughs> we don't know. Could you tell us the answer? And I think the other side of that, that was the real light bulb moment for me is that when you talk about women in leadership and those, those challenges and those gaps are things that um, are fairly, fairly obvious when you start mm. digging into it, but we are living in a point, and this is something that I feel when you do a startup has to, you have to have a little bit of luck on your side, a little bit of timing on your side. And we feel coming out of a pandemic, which we're not out of, but coming out of the the impacts of the pandemic in the last few years, it is absolutely obvious that the future of work has changed forever. Flexible hybrid work, we can no longer pretend bums on seats is a way to measure productivity. We need a new type of leader to come in and understand how to lead teams who aren't physically in the same place, how to inspire, how to get Mm. maximum productivity in a time that we're going into a, a time of probably economic uncertainty for the next few years. Those are huge challenges that businesses are grappling with. So this problem of women in leadership and gender equity in the workplace used to feel like a nice to have, but we believe it is the ticket to solving some of the challenges, the Mm. biggest fundamental challenges facing organizations now. So it's this beautiful time where the problems of two groups meet, and if we can figure out a way to solve them, which we will, um, (laughs) that that could have a meaningful impact on, I mean, when we looked at some of the stats, I mean, this has, the lack of women in leadership has an actual monetary impact on the global GDP. They think it's in the trillions because we are not maximizing, I mean, at a purely business level, we are not maximizing the value of women. <laughs> and so this is a real mm. problem that businesses should be paying serious attention to because it's impacting their bottom lines. Yeah. Mm, I love the, the, you know, going back to what you're saying before about vision and purpose. You've yeah. clearly got the vision. Yeah. The purpose is consolidating, as yeah. we can see. Yeah. But how exciting. And we're, we're yeah. thrilled to get an insight for what's next for you two. Thank you. And on that note, I think we should roughly bring this to a close. But before we do, I thought, why not ask one final question? It's a bit like the question I asked you last night. Net, but I'm going to take. <laughs> I'll take. I'll actually go with the other question, which what, which is, and I'll get you both to to answer this, uh, and it's obviously tying in with the uh, investment piece here. Mm. What is something? So when I think of purchases, I like to think of them in terms of cost per use. So you can justify mm. a purchase when you're going to use it mm. a lot. What's something that each of you have bought? that perhaps doesn't get used enough? And I'm putting you on the spot there. And if Anna, if you've got one that comes to mind. Yeah, I've got a humidifier. Which Wait, a, humidif- a humidifier or a dehumidifier? humidity. <laughs> oh, I know. Into the air. Well, you really need what one is, of those You don't need that in Auckland. <laughs> that when you have a cold... You just put it in like it's like a steam bath, ah. and it makes the whole room humid, and it helps. Why don't you use it? Well, because it's a Cause bath. It's to like get a out. sauna. You make your room a sauna, <laughs> and it already feels like you live in a sauna in Auckland. Oh my goodness! It's just a horrible thing. You and you need oh to get goodness. sick. So and I tried to sell it. 
Oh my I goodness. wanted to buy it. Oh no. I've got two. I've got two. I've got two okay, things. Go on. But they're kind of the same thing. So they both have related to sport and how to make exercise more enjoyable. And so the first thing I did was, and I always convinced my husband, I'm like, I will go swimming all the time <laughs> if I have these waterproof earbuds and they're these stupid things that you put in your ear that wrap around the back of your neck. And I was like so stoked to get them. And Does I bought them music? brand new. Yeah. Oh. But but it's so old school. Do you remember the iPod where yeah. you had to get the MP3s and then yeah. you have to. So then who does MP3s anymore? You have to subscribe to Apple Music or whatever. And so it got really hard. I figured out how to put about four songs on these <laughs> things. Now I'm swimming. And now these songs are about three years old. I mean, no one listens to them anymore. And like I'm swimming to these four songs and that. So that was um, a two time. I don't know what the songs are. That was a two-time use oh like probably like oh God, i have no idea i hope they're from my little mermaid <laughs> and they're probably also free maybe at the time to download yeah. so that was a mistake and then the second one was more recent and that was um i said to my husband i really need this watch that tells me how fast and far i'm running and it because i didn't want an apple watch sorry for those that do but i do not need all that shit on my um, wrist telling me this notification, that notification, like talk about f- stress. Um, I just so- remember the time you were convincing me you needed this watch as well. So I'm interested oh. to hear how it panned out. <laughs> oh, well, I used it about three times and I was shocked that my daily run was only two kilometers because I thought it was seven. So that. <laughs> So first of all, I'm like, I'm garbage. Um, It's trail running, to be fair. So like, who knew how long the trail was? Um, And then I and then I got COVID and I stopped running for a bit. And then that was it. So uh, terrible sports purchases. Two of them. So good. There's a theme. There's a theme. Okay. well, I'm also going to do a theme, but I'm not going to give it specific examples because we um, left. Hatch got acquired, what, a year and a bit Mm. ago. We left probably about eight months ago um, and had three months of gardening leave at the end. So I went from what at the end was a very cushy corporate job back into complete unknown. So I made a point in that first couple of weeks when we've now identified it's like that manic mode when you're like, I can't relax yet because I have to bash down every wall in my house, repaint everything, <laughs> organize all my cupboards, change everything about how I am, which turns out as a stage, um, that I spent that first couple of weeks going, what, how do I Marie Kondo my expenses and started to go, what are, what are all the things that I spend money on that bring me no joy of Mm. which there were a lot. So I actually spent the first couple of weeks Mm. just going, I want to be more mindful with my spending. And I cut out, like I used to spend $6,000 a year on Ubers. Like I just, and I changed, i barely even have we've been ubering the last two days i have not used uber for probably two months now Mm. um at all i don't even have the app on my phone usually because i went i'm gonna get more benefit out of walking i'm gonna buy a bus ticket snapper um and so i actually don't have any of those expenses at the moment but i have a great deal of lightness from knowing just having a audit of how i my relationship Mm. with money which had gotten to the point, I think when you've gone through a really stressful stage, money can be a really nice way to get a quick dopamine hit in a bad yeah. day. So I was wasting a lot of money on a lot of things that weren't bringing a lot of value. And now um, I've cut that out and really uh, uh, try and make sure every expense I have is a mm. mindful and it brings me joy. Um, or I have to pay because otherwise I'll get you know booted out of my house or something. So yeah, what that's... a wise answer. You just have to yeah, stop me the next time answer. I get a sports purchase. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I've tried in the past. <laughs> 
My latest is a gym membership. I have a gym membership now. <laughs> hey, well, it's been so lovely to have you guys on board. And the, the conversation has gone in lots of different places. Yeah. And what I love about it is you know, you two together are just magic. Yeah. Yeah. But the also, between you both. <laughs> but the, as individuals as well, and I think the, the makings of any good relationship, and I think you were getting to this, Nat, earlier, is when you've got two strong people who are sure of themselves, mm. in and of themselves, that come together because you were you were two whole individuals coming together mm. to make a powerhouse team. So it's been an absolute treat. Thank you for having yeah. us on the inaugural show yeah. episode. Yeah. Thank you. And that's the end of our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs>